either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Seems like we're getting more information daily about more theaters that are opening up. But this week, we still got a bunch of new movies that are landing on streaming services that we want to talk about. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. And since we're recording this on Juneteenth, we're going to start with a former beauty queen and single mom preparing her rebellious teenage daughter for the Miss Juneteenth pageant. It's called Miss Juneteenth. If I make the dance team, I can get me a scholarship. I don't have my daughter out there dancing like that. No. Ain't no school handing out no full ride for that. You better hope your grades turn out right. Where's your homework? You worry about the wrong thing. I need you to focus on your studies. Miss Juneteenth is here to prepare you for the future. Your dinner knife. That is your salad knife. One would surely not eat the main course with that. <laughs> we are expecting greatness. Why are you making me do it? Didn't do nothing for you. So get up and clap your hands. Better not ever see you at my house again. You always embarrass me. I'm not cute. <laughs> or built to suit a fashion model size. <laughs> that's my baby. Phenomenal woman. That's me. This is the feature debut for writer-director Channing Godfrey Peoples. And... She really has crafted a, an endearing look at not just the Juneteenth history and holiday, but of uh, a mother and a daughter. It's almost like coming-of-age film, only sort of the reversal. Rather it being the coming-of-age of the 14-year-old girl who's turning 15, it's really more of her mother's yeah. final coming-of-age. And the what I really enjoyed about this film a great deal was the relationship between the mother and daughter, because... It's one where you've got a very, very firm, very firm mother and a daughter who's kind of bristling at that. But at the same time, they clearly love each other so very much. And every time I was like, oh, don't do that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, what I'm saying is the filmmaker is smarter than me. She sets up a lot of situations where you're like, no, no, no. And then you realize how very involved you are in the decisions that these characters make because you love them. Yeah, it's set in Fort Worth, Texas. And the mom, named Turquoise, she was a Miss Juneteenth pageant winner back in her day. Right. And you find out that the the uh, people that put on the pageant, they're very proud of what their former queens have gone on to achieve. And they push that all the time. Greatness. We're going to go on right. to greatness. Right. Well, Turquoise doesn't feel like her, her, her life has turned out greatness, at, at least as of yet. So she is really putting her, her all into the fact that her daughter, Kai, is now going to be in the pageant. And she wants nothing more than for her daughter to win and follow in her footsteps. And Kai, to be polite, doesn't seem to be showing much interest, to say the least. No, and and there's a lot of conflict there because the pageant costs a great deal of money. The dress costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to register. There are all kinds of costs associated with it. And the family just doesn't have the, the money. And so 
there is some sort of question as to why is she devoting this kind of money and not paying for these other things. And it's very interesting because while people will float that out, nobody ever comes right out and mocks her for or like, you know, it's just sort of like a polite, maybe we don't need to, but she's so dead set on this being her daughter's way out of the situation. And the rest of the entire town has so much respect for this character. And and it's funny because it's got a very lived-in quality. Oh, very you don't much so. Need, you don't need to have it sort of etched out in front of you how her life turned the, the way she didn't expect it to after she won this pageant. You don't need to have that all articulated for you because it it's all seems to just be hanging in the air there. Yeah, because you've got the obvious themes of this parent is living vicariously through her daughter. So that's obvious. But there's other things going on. And you're right. Even though they butt heads, it's still a very loving and respectful relationship. It as is. they're each going for something different. And the performances are great. The lead, uh, Turquoise, is played by Nicole Bahari, who you you know her face. She's been in a bunch of stuff. The one role that I remember her for was she played Jackie Robinson's uh, wife right. in 42. Right. Uh, but she's done a lot of a TV and other movies, so she'll look familiar. And her daughter, Kai, is played by Alexis Chikazi. Hope I pronounced that right, who I hadn't seen before. But she was you're wonderful. Right. Yeah, everybody's wonderful. You're right. It's very lived in. It, it, it feels very natural, and you, you get the sense of this town and how they do pull together. Everybody knows everybody's situation. She's having, Turquoise is also having problems with maybe trying to get back with Kai's dad. Maybe not. He's got to straighten up. You know, she's not sure yet, but maybe they're getting back together. And, uh, and issues with her own mother. Oh, and, you oh know, yes. I forgot yeah. about that. And, yeah. it's, and it's it's interesting because, again, there's nothing really heavy-handed about this movie. There's nothing that says her life turned out this way and she made these choices and this is why because we're going to give you these conflicts. It's, it just it does. It feels very naturalistic. And also, the other thing that I really appreciated was that, especially for people who aren't familiar... I was with, just going to bring that up because you brought this up this morning on TV and I was so glad you did. I think that... The, the, the film does an excellent job of, in a very organic way, explaining to an audience the intricacies of, uh, of Juneteenth and also why specifically it is important in Texas. Yes, they, found, they, found a, they find a very organic way to tell characters in the movie, but also tell us, right. if we're not familiar, what, what it means and, and how much it means to this community and, and how much the, the pageant means to this one woman. So it is. It's a very, very endearing family, intimate family drama, at the same time taking on bigger issues as well. And, and we thought it was just extremely enjoyable. We should say, by the way, that the written review for this was done on MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis. Who and also she, loved she it. She loved yeah. it, loved it, loved it. So it's definitely one that everybody at MadWolf uh, recommends for sure. And it's Miss Juneteenth. Next up is the story of a rich retired banker and his family booking a secluded, lavish villa in a countryside. He's suffering from ugly nightmares since his first wife's suicide, and then creepy things start happening. It's called You Should Have Left. Are you okay? What is this place? There was a different house before that one. What sort of house? Why do people hate Daddy so much? The judge and the jury all found him innocent, but some people didn't believe him. The house shows me. He must be guilty of something. People have always stayed in that house. Ella! Some don't leave. Wake up! It's a dream! The right ones usually find the place. 
Maybe it's the other way round. The police finds them. Well, first of all, that is, um, it's an unfortunate title. Number one, it's kind of clunky. And number two, it leads to rebuttal titles like yours when you wrote the review for us that said, you'll wish you had. <laughs> <laughs> because, man, it's it's a decent setup. If you watch the trailer, you think, okay, maybe some creepy stuff going on. But it's so boring, and it's it, it leads nowhere. It's put together by the pieces, from the pieces of better movies, and by the end, when you get what amounts to a reveal, it's just like a wet blanket. Yeah, it really, and it's it's based on a novel, and uh, which I didn't read, so maybe it's a great novel. Maybe it's not the source material. You know what, problem. though, some of those movies, sometimes even when I don't like a movie, you can see. You know what, though, I could you say to yourself, or I've done it to myself, I could see how this would be a good book. Right. I don't get that here. No, because it's like you said, there is not a single fresh idea in this movie. And it, it opens with dream sequences. Oh. You know, it's something scary happens. Oh, I'm awake now. Oh, thank God. Oh, I wasn't awake now. I'm awake. Oh, my we're God. Having, how cheap is that? We're having a rash of that right oh, now. Yeah, and really... I know usually I go off on jump scares. But I would have welcomed more jump scares than this if it meant less dream sequences. Right. Because that's such, yeah, it's such a lazy get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a cheat. It is such a cheat. I can do whatever I want. Oh, it's just a dream. Unless, you know, if it's part of the main premise, like, say, Nightmare on Elm Street or something sure, like exactly, that. exactly, right. But it's not here. And no. it just gives them a chance to maybe show something extra creepy in the trailer that's going to amount to nothing in this movie. And the, the fact that that's the opening of this very film and, and it just really made me worried about where we were headed, that they could open the film with something so stale, yeah. so obvious. But the truth is, every single scene in the movie is so stale and so obvious. There's the big reveal after they've been walking and walking for the longest time. And all I could think of was... I can't see how they're getting out of this except with the single most obvious shot. And that's exactly it was like, oh, no, we couldn't possibly have guessed. Well, and the same deal with that other character when a certain certain something is revealed and you're thinking, do they really think this is a shock right Right. now? But it's and we also should mention that Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried are playing husband and wife and they have a young daughter. If you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute. Right. He's 27 years older than she is, but we'll give him a little bit of a pass for this. Right, because that the characters in the book, that's part of the tension yeah. in the family, is that there is such a huge age gap. And, and it gives him a little bit more of a chance to have lived and, and to have experienced this backstory that comes into play. Exactly. Yeah, so, but... I was talking this morning on the radio show, one of the radio shows I call, and the host was saying, well, maybe this is a scary movie for people that really don't like scary movies. Uh, okay, maybe, but it's still boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if you don't like scary movies, I don't think that what you really, I don't find it likely that you will be entertained by such a watered-down derivative of a scary movie. Maybe you just shouldn't try. Or maybe <laughs> if they don't if you don't like scary movies, you haven't seen the ones that this borrows from, so maybe it would be better. But and we should say, you know, Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried are usually always good. They we enjoy seeing them. Mm-hmm. They are reliable, but here there's just there's nothing to this movie, especially with a $20 price tag. That's really that's where I feel like this is a PSA because this is one of Universal's uh this is such a great film that you should have seen in theaters and can't that we're going to charge you $20 for the opening weekend. And I can't see a reason 
And right. we, I think, you and I have been very sort of generous about that concept up to now. And we've been saying things like, well, you get it for 48 hours. And because anybody can watch it, you can have all your whole... Well, it's not a family film, so it's not like you're going to have your kids in there. And mm-hmm. it's just boring. It's deadly dull. I was really surprised they slapped that price on here. Because if you made it maybe five ninety nine, I could see... More people giving, oh, okay, a couple of people at home, and you, you cut that in half. It's, what, $3 a piece? Ah, let's give it a chance. But 20 bucks? No. No, not for a horror movie, because you can get Shudder for two months for that amount of money. <laughs> Next up is the story of Vivian Liberto, Johnny Cash's first wife and the mother of his four daughters. It's a documentary entitled My Darling Vivian. She was a very private person, and was not prepared for all of the attention and public life and my dad's notoriety and fame. There was nothing in her past that would have prepared her for that. And it's nothing she ever wanted. And then of course, when there was something that was negative, like when he got arrested for bringing pills across the border from Mexico, something like that, just devastated her. This is just a little indie, and you're going to be able to get it from Drexel.net. It's when it's in one of the theatrical screening rooms. And normally we kind of save those till later on, and we hit the great big national releases first. But this movie got such a huge response when we posted the review that we thought, well, we've just got to get to it quickly. Yeah, every person I've talked to about this movie has had so much interest in it. And that's great, because I loved it. And it's, a, it's a, such an interesting story, because it lets the four daughters of Johnny and Vivian, and that is Cindy, Tara, Kathy, and Roseanne Cash, tell the story of their mother. And I thought while watching it, it must be such a weird feeling if all the world thinks that your father is one half of an all-time great love story, but your mother isn't the other half. Yeah. You'd want to tell her story. Right. And the director is Matt Riddlehoover, and he lets them do that. And it's a great story. And the amount of archival footage, that alone really is worth it, mm-hmm. especially if you're, obviously, if you're a Johnny Cash fan. But you've got the still photos, you've got home movies, you've got recordings, and then you've got the the letters. She, Vivian, saved about 1,000 letters that they amazing. wrote to each other from the time they met as teenagers. Just amazing. And then you've got, I really liked, I don't know if it was out of choice or necessity, but uh, Riddle Hoover, the director, he interviews all four daughters separately. Right. And I, I liked it because their memories and their perspective would bounce off each other, and he edits them just so, so that sometimes it's like a Rashomon. Well, <laughs> one person remembers it this way. Oh, I don't remember that. And, it, you know, so it is funny, and it's sweet, and, and it's endearing. And it even if you take away the celebrity trappings, and, and some of that is, is really fascinating, too. Sure. Back before social media and the things that were going on when they tried to have a little bit more privacy, but even that was invaded. Even if you take all that away, it's still the story of a family, of a, a broken home, of, of young love that turns sour and things that go wrong, and then maybe some, some family scars that take a long time if they ever do heal. So it's, it, is, it is sad in spots, of course. It's bittersweet. It's endearing. And it's a, really an indispensable piece of the legacy of a cultural icon. I mean, Johnny Cash, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of the ones. I, I worked in country music radio for 20 years, and I, and, <laughs> and I met pretty much everybody Mm -hmm. and saw pretty much everybody. And that's the one I never got a chance to meet. I would have just loved that. I mean, what a figure, what a, what a figure in not just music, but in American and history Mm -hmm. and pop culture. 
And just to, to get that peace that has always been missing, because even today, this morning, when we when we did our TV spot, and the one host said, oh, so Roseanne Cash, is is this woman's daughter? Yes. Yeah. All the daughters are. That's the, the legend that gets built by by her, the first wife. At the time, she was very shy and very, anxi- so very anxiety-prone, as you find out in this movie, and stayed out of the limelight. And then you get the whole June Carter thing later, and the leg- legend builds, and a certain narrative comes up that maybe isn't true. So, well, and, you know, we're both fans of the film Walk the Line, but, uh-huh. it, but it very definitely, it bends the truth sure. to benefit the cinematic quality exactly. of the storyline. For things like, as you and I were talking about just at lunch today, most people think Walk the Line was written about June Carter Cash, right. and it's not. It's written about Vivian. Right, and some of these daughters are are angry about it. Uh, mm-hmm. One in particular is more angry than others. You get the sense that Roseanne, since she has been a successful entertainer as well, is a little more forgiving because she knows how the business works. Sure. But, uh, yeah, there's still some feelings, and I just would really, really recommend it. It's on uh, streaming services. Now, you mentioned you can get it at Drexel.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called My Darling Vivian. And next up is the story of a pilot's aircraft being hijacked by terrorists. It's 7500. What's your emergency? We have a 7500. Open the door! Several men attacked our cockpit. We stopped them from now. The captain is injured. Status of the crew, I don't know. They have a hostage. They're going to kill him if I don't open the door. You want other guys to die? Don't stop, please. If you work together, you can beat them. It's okay, you're gonna be alright. European 162, what's the status? And if you're wondering about that title, 7500 is the code for a hijacking. And this one brings back Joseph Gordon Levitt, who really we're always happy to see. Yeah, and we haven't seen him do much lately. In fact, for the last four four years or so, he's he's only done voice work. Uh, and before that, he made a couple of mediocre films, you know, The Walk and Snowden. But it, it's not that long ago where he was in basically all of the great movies that came out, in Inception and in, you know, Dark Knight Rises. And then he and did it, his own. He did that. Uh, he wrote Don John. Don John. Really good. Loved that. I loved that movie. And I'm a fan of his. I think he's always very good. And he is good in this. And I can understand maybe what drew him to the role because it's almost a one-man show for mm-hmm. a great deal of the film. Mm-hmm. He's trapped in the cockpit, mainly alone, and what he's watching through a closed-circuit TV, which which is a, a great way to build some tension, is he can just see basically the uh, flight attendant station right behind the cockpit door, yeah. and the curtain is drawn behind that. So he he can't really see what's happening. He can only see little bits, of course, means that we can't. We can only see little bits, and it's a great way to ramp up tension and the film and Gordon Levitt go out of their way never to sort of bend to bombast. It is not a bombastic film at all. It's a very dialed down film and his performance is very dialed down as well. So there ends the positive. (laughs) The problem that I have with this film uh, is that so it is not based on true events. So somebody decided the writers decided, which is the same. It's the uh, writer director. Yeah, the uh, director and co-writer is Patrick Volrath. And this is also his 
feature debut. He's done some shorts, but this is his feature debut. This is, I believe he won an Oscar for one of his shorts. He was at least nominated for an Oscar. So he's kind of a much lauded uh, German filmmaker, and this is his feature debut. And um, he chose to uh, have the hijackers all be Muslim extremists, terrorists. And again, had this been a true story, then I would think, oh, you know, I mean, we've get, we've seen a hundred of those in the last ten years. I'm not sure we need to see another Films, one, yeah. but okay. But it isn't, and that really. I mean, I came out to you as I was watching it, and I said, I don't want to finish watching this movie, and I don't want to write a review of it. And then we, I sucked it up because it's my job, and I went back and watched it. And it's not because the movie is overtly offensive, and that's why it bothered me so much. It's very, it's it's subtle and insidious in the way that it represents its white savior story. The fact that it's not drawing your attention to the fact that these guys are all Muslims. It's just this sort of quieter, I'm not going to draw your attention to the sort of inherent white supremacy of the storyline. But that's what it is. And it's a decision that was made. A decision was made to make this a white supremacy underlying film. And it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. It's a piece of fiction. Um, and I was so very bothered by that and, you know, and by the depiction of the, of the terrorists, because, of course, they're terrorists. They're not good people. <laughs> they're not going to be good people. And I totally understand that. And the youngest of them winds up in the cockpit and there's kind of this battle of wills in a certain way. The two characters kind of mirror each other in that they you might they cry. They choose not to be violent when they could be violent. Um, but in the end, one is an outright coward and the other is a stoic savior mm-hmm. and and I have to admit, I, I'm surprised even to hear myself say this. I'm more comfortable with the films that are just out in your face about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious. It's a, a thriller that does some things storytelling-wise competently and builds yes. the film competently. But the writing and the characterizations a problem. And that is 7,500. Next, we have the story of Mila, a seriously ill teenager falling in love with a drug dealer, Moses, her parents' worst nightmare. It's called Baby Teeth. Moses! Oh, whoa, whoa. I don't like you, but Mila should have the world at her feet right now. Oh, Mel. I lost my hair. Those colors are like way better than the one that I gave you. <laughs> when I met you, it was like you weren't scared of anything. Why are you here? I want to be with you, Mel. Mel, that boy has problems. So do I. <laughs> This is the worst possible parenting I can imagine. I just need to say, Ben Mendelsohn and Essie Davis. Right. That's, yeah. That's all That's all I need to hear, certainly. Right. And I didn't know when I sat down to watch this, but yeah, they play the parents, and they're fantastic. As, as always. As always. Mm-hmm. And just one of the many things to like about this movie. It's uh, another day, it's a debut screenplay. The writer is Rita Kaunige, Kaun- uh, I'm going to rip that apart, so I'm sorry, Rita. And the uh, feature debut for Shannon Murphy as the director. And it's it's a coming-of-age story about a girl who is very ill, maybe terminally ill. And if I, if I say that to you, you're going to just roll your eyes, as I would, and say, oh, that's just manipulative claptrap, because it's been used oh, my goodness, that yes. way for so many other films. But it's not here. This It, it takes a bulldozer to those types of expectations, and it, it feels so fresh because of that. And Mila is played by Eliza Scanlon, who we just saw last year. She played Beth March mm-hmm. in the great version of uh, Little Women. Mm-hmm. And she takes the lead here, and she's fantastic, and she's still a teenager. 
and just meets this boy, young man, 23-year-old Moses, waiting for a tram, and then just becomes fixated on him and brings him home. And then, as the mom says, that boy has problems. And she says, so do I. Right. Uh, and, and they're off and running. And it's, it's directed in such a... I don't want the words not offbeat, but a very defiant fashion, just like the character. Mm-hmm. She, Shannon Murphy, the director, she cuts off scenes just abruptly. You think, well, it's reached a height and it's going to go, nope, boom, and we're on to the next one. So, so, so things that you're really not used to seeing in these, in these types of movies, which keeps your attention constantly. And even in the, the times when it does start to wander into mawkish territory, it's always brought right back. There's a wicked, wickedly perverse sense of humor about Mm. it and it's always just charming you in that way even when it starts to get a little teary as you're going to get with a with a character that's very seriously ill but uh, it is really one worth checking out you mentioned uh, and we both just mentioned that the parents essie davis and ben mendelson fantastic you know the parents are dealing with this tragedy in different ways sure as people do exactly because that sort of sadness and stress manifests itself differently she, the mom, used to be a, a, a great pianist. Well, that has all gone by the wayside, and she's trying to stay off pills. While the father is fighting this weird fixation with the pregnant neighbor across the street. What's up with that? <laughs> so little things like that. Yeah. And you get inside this family, and as they add this kid, he, they have to just accept that her, their, their daughter is happier when this boy is around. And they want her to be happy because they don't know how much time she has left. Right. And so they accept that, and they look the other way, and it's it's really... I'm going to use the word bittersweet again, as I think I've used at least for one of the other movies we've talked about. But it is. And even though it it is sad, it'll make you happy that people are finding ways to make this type of movie, the coming-of-age movie, fresh again mm. and have something new to say. Yeah. And, and I think uh, both the writer and the director have that here, and they're both worth uh, worth watching in the future. And we would recommend Baby Teeth. Let's go back to the scary stuff next. We love that, and we like this one much better. Uh, This is Chad, the owner of Rad Chad's Horror Emporium, recounting a series of bone-chilling, blood-spattered tales to illustrate the rules of the horror genre to his newest employee. It's called Scare Package. True. What would happen in a horror movie now? I'm pretty sure something bad happened here. You don't understand! You have to kill me! Now! You okay? Pick it up. Hitchhikers is dangerous business. That's how horror movies start. It's like you're having a rough night. It's 11 a.m. Hi, I'm hunting a creature. Well, a man. Maybe you've seen him? How are we gonna fix this? I'd like to rent a wood chipper. We are in a horror movie! Nobody? Horror. Horror movie. This is another one that we got to see first at Nightmares Film Festival. In fact, you got to interview some of the directors yeah, of the different I shorts. Got, I got to lead a, a discussion with one of the directors, which was a lot of fun, just as this movie is. So, as I was already done a couple times today, directing people that maybe were interested and you should have left, directed them over here. Exactly. Because it's on Shutter and so easy to find. Yeah, and it's fun. And especially if you are a horror fan, you know, it is. it is often, I mean, a lot of horror fans... Like the anthology style, because we don't get to see shorts very often. Right, right. And and so this is a series of shorts. But on the whole, they are um, they're about they're horror movies about horror movies. They play with your expectations. Meta, meta. But they do it in a way that is very engaging and entertaining because it's clear that the filmmakers 
love horror. Mm-hmm. They're not poke. They're poking fun at it out of love. Uh, and then the other concept: Do any of us not miss the old VHS stores? Right. <laughs> I mean, especially horror fans. That was my fa- when I was a kid. That is what I wanted to grow up to be. That was my highest. That was my highest ambition was to work in a video store. What about the time I was in a video store? <laughs> And I was probably looking in the horror section, and some guy, he just walked in the door, he took one step inside the door, and he just yelled to the clerk, Where the pornos? (laughs) Okay, we all know what you're here for. We'll go back to your browsing. But anyway, I used to love just to look at the boxes. Oh, I know. When I was a little kid, I did. I was was absolutely obsessed with Rabid, David Cronenberg's Rabid, (laughs) the cover of that box. Anyway. The point is, it's a very, very fun group of shorts that not only pays tribute and kind of, you know, uh, winkingly homages horror, but also the old video rental stores. <laughs> so if you have Shudder, be sure to check out Scare Package. Next up, the story of Jack and Yaya, who from their meeting at a very young age saw each other as they truly were, a girl and a boy, even though the rest of the world didn't see them that way. This is Jack and Yaya. Yeah, yeah. Jack, I don't have the patience. Shut up. It's not even funny. I'm Kardashian. I'm trying to be Christina. I'm not worried about what you're doing in your house or with your body. Why are you so worried about me? I don't see anything wrong with it. First of all, I'm not God. And I don't believe he's going to throw somebody in hell for doing what comes natural. Unless you have this, you don't get it. We are so strongly connected in that weird way. That is the best thing of knowing him for 30 years, is that connection. Another debut, the first documentary from uh, director Jennifer Bagley, and she has just amazing access to an amazing story of two best friends and neighbors who were very close as little kids, and they are both transgender. And so they had each other to lean on mm-hmm. all of this time. And I think that's one of the... And again, it's a great one for Pride Pride Month. It's mm-hmm. a great movie to watch for Pride Month. It's because it's so um, uplifting. Mm-hmm. It's just so... And it, it, it speaks to how much easier the world is when at least one person believes you, understands you, supports you. It's really a beautiful movie about friendship. And it's another case where... You can get very intimate. You focus on just these two people and then speak so universally. Yeah, it absolutely does. Brandon Thomas was uh, the writer for Mad Wolf who who handled this film, and he loved it so much. And there's an Uncle Eddie. He quotes Uncle Eddie several times. <laughs> it's You know, it's just it's such an engaging, such a lovely film, and we highly recommend it. Yeah, that is Jack and Yaya. Next, another good one for Pride Month. It's Luana Munez, arguably one of Brazil's most famous transgender personalities, shapes a new reality in her hostel by providing a safe working environment for generations of young transgendered girls in the neighborhood of Lapa in Rio. It's called Queen of Lapa. There's another great one that Rachel Willis reviewed for us. Another very, I mean, the the access that the filmmaker got and the way that all of the people in the documentary speak so frankly, mm-hmm. it takes you, it's one of the great things when a documentary can take you someplace that you just never really imagined. Sure, and, yeah. And uh, Luana's house, Luana's hostel is just a place you, you've never gotten to be, not in real life, not in the movies, not anywhere. And it's such a fascinating, very, very tender, and again, pretty uplifting given especially the subject matter documentary. Yeah. And if you want to check out Rachel Willis's review, it is up now at madwolf.com, but another recommendation for Queen of Lapa. 
And one more documentary this week. It's a refugee marathoner striving to raise his new country's flag at the Olympics called Runner. It was mid-quarter. I asked him if he ever ran before, and he said, didn't know it was a sport. And he said, are you ready to run? I said, to run where? And then after that, it was just championships, wins, just took off from there. Eventually, it kind of dawned on me, like, he's got deep down stuff. The guys, my teammate, I could laugh with them, but inside me, my heart is always in fire because of this situation back home. The civil war in Sudan has killed more than two million people. The people of Sudan will vote on whether the nation should split into... This is the birth of a new nation. I have to do something. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, but something in my mind said, Olympic 2012. Well, the written review for this one was done by our latest contributor at MadWolf.com, Seth Troyer. He wrote the review for this, and he just loved it. He In fact, he it. got a thank you from the director of the movie, Bill Gallagher. This is his debut as a filmmaker, and he reached out to say thank you to Seth, so we appreciate that. Yeah, and it's it's hard not to like this movie. I mean, this would be a tough film to to dislike. And not only that, it just reaffirms your faith in the power of a sports movie. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a, it's a Sudanese refugee, and when South Sudan broke away, he saw his chance at Olympics to raise the flag for his, for his homeland and to hopefully promote peace. Because, uh, as it tells you in heartbreaking fashion, he's a good runner mm -hmm. because he was running for his life. Exactly. And he couldn't believe once he got to the United States that it was something people did for sport. Yeah, amazing. It's, it's a heartbreaking and incredibly powerful and, again, uplifting story that I think you would love. Yeah, so if you want to check out Seth's review, his first for us. It's at madwolf.com. And again, no lobby. Probably won't have one for a while. So let's go right to what we're looking forward to next week. Well, it's John Stewart's new one yes. that we got to see a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Spoiler, we liked it. Uh, it's called <laughs> Irresistible. That's going to be out next week. Also one that looks very funny, I hope so, Eurovision Song Contest. Will Ferrell, we're always in. Whatever always. he's going to do. It looks funny. Uh, a movie called Truth. A movie called 11th Green. Daddy Issues. And the new one from Shudder. Yummy. Yummy. Ooh, all right. So uh, we'll see about those next week. But as for this week, there's a lot here, a lot to talk about. Maybe you loved You Should Have Left. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Whatever. Keep the conversation going. That's always fun. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can check out all of these written reviews, as well as our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. Brand new edition of Fright Club. That's right. This week as well. You can check all that out on the main website, madwolf.com. So until next week, keep in touch if you can. We always appreciate you stopping by. If you would do us a favor while you're here and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Yes, we would. So until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>